Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's gospel, Matthew chapter 2. I'll remind you of these words. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. This is the word of our God, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Just exactly who were the Magi? There's lots of erroneous information out there about them. We three kings of Orient are, we sing in the old carol. We don't know necessarily that there were three of them. They almost certainly were not kings. When we hear the word Orient, we tend to think of the far east of Asia instead of the Middle East, which is where they were from, although we don't know exactly where they were from. There's a tradition that tells us their names were Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior, but almost certainly those three names are totally made up. So we don't know their number, we don't know their names, we don't know their nationality. Most likely, they were from a class of uh, scholars-slash-astronomers from the area of Babylon and had heard the gospel, the, the promise of the Messiah, from the Jews who had been exiled to that land many years before. But we're not even sure about that, to be honest with you. The only thing we are sure of is that they followed a star to worship the Christ child. But what about that star? Just exactly what was that? Astronomers have been trying for a long time to figure out an explanation in the cosmic record for what the Magi saw that day. Was it a comet? Was it a supernova? Perhaps it was a, some planets that had lined up in their orbits. I remember being a little kid on a field trip from school and lying in one of those recliners in a planetarium and looking up at the stars projected onto the dome above me as the narrator explained that the Magi almost certainly followed a comet to the place of Jesus' birth. But again, we don't know exactly what the star was. If God thought we needed to know what the star was, he would have told us exactly what it was, but we really don't know. My personal opinion, just on, on the basis of the way the star behaved, is that it wasn't something natural in the cosmic record. It was something special created by God. But I can't even say that for certain. Finally... We just don't know. So there's a lot we don't know about the Magi. Let's talk about the things that we do know. These Magi were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who made seeking Him and worshiping Him their top priority. And for this reason, my friends, they are worthy of our attention today. They're worthy even of our imitation. And the portion of God's Word before us encourages us to do that, to imitate them, to join the wise men. And we do so by doing two things, by seeking our Savior, King, and also by worshiping Him with our very best worship. So let me set this scene for you. It's sometime after Jesus' birth. In fact, many scholars think it may have been a year or two after our Lord Jesus' birth. So don't think of the, the wise men coming on the same night as the shepherds. And Mary and Joseph are no longer in that barn. They've secured a house in Bethlehem somewhere. Perhaps Joseph has found some carpentry work in order to support the family. They're there in, in Bethlehem. Meanwhile, in Jerusalem, the Magi have arrived on the scene and they have begun asking questions. Where is the one born king of the Jews? Matthew tells us this. He says, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed 
and all Jerusalem with him. Herod is a really interesting historical character. This is Herod the Great, the builder, who had been placed on the throne of Judea by the Roman Senate. In other words, he was simply a Roman puppet. The Romans were really in charge. Well, puppet or no, he was pretty powerful, and he was also a really, really bad dude. In addition to the babies of Bethlehem, the little ones in Bethlehem, Herod murdered his wife, his three sons, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, and uncle, and many, many other people. And just before Herod died, he had a number of popular and prominent citizens in Jerusalem jailed, and then he gave the order that at the moment of his death, they were to be executed. Now, the reason he did this is because he knew nobody in Jerusalem was going to mourn for him. They were going to rejoice and have a party. So he just wanted to make sure there would be some sadness in Jerusalem at the time of his death. Of course, that order was not carried out, but I think it gives you a little window into the character of King Herod. As I said, he was a really bad guy. And so when he got upset, all of Jerusalem got upset because they knew it was likely that violence and bloodshed were soon to follow. Now, the Magi probably did not know anything about this. They just came onto the scene because they were looking for the one-born king of the Jews. And they went to the right place to find news of him. They went to the Jewish capital, to the center of the Jewish religion. And there they found the answer they were looking for. The scholars told them in Bethlehem in Judea. That's where they would find this newborn king. Herod gave them this information gleaned from his scholars And then he he gave him kind of an innocent-sounding request or order. He said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Herod, of course, did not want to worship that king. He saw him as a threat to his own kingship, and so he wanted Jesus dead. Every time I've read this story, something interesting has occurred to me. Why didn't Herod just send one of his spies to follow the wise men to where they found the the baby Jesus, the toddler Jesus, so that then he could execute him? Or why didn't he offer to send a detachment of soldiers along with them for protection and then just have those soldiers carry it out uh, when they found the child? The only answer we can give is that God's hand was at work in all of this. He's the Lord of history And it was not yet time for our Lord Jesus to die. Well, the wise men, they did make that careful search for Jesus. In fact, they had been searching carefully for him since long before they had met Herod. They had endured difficulty, danger, and distance uh, to find the Savior in whom they had put their hope and their trust. They sought him diligently. If the wise men could observe you and me, what would they think of our search for Jesus? Would they call it diligent? Or would they perhaps at times have to recognize that we can become kind of apathetic and take our Savior for granted? For example, on any given week, only about one-third of Emmanuel's members are present here in God's house to give him worship and praise. And far fewer than that join together with their brothers and sisters in Christ to study his word in detail. The pages of our Bibles and our catechisms at home are often crisp and clean, almost as if they're new from lack of use. Many of us can 
discuss sports statistics in minute detail and quote them as if we're pros. And we can talk about our favorite actors and actresses and movies and our favorite musical artists and give you all kinds of facts and information about them. But then we, we struggle when it comes to articulating our faith and sharing the doctrines that we believe in on the basis of God's Word with someone else. Isaiah tells us, seek the Lord while he may be found, which is now. Now is the time to seek our Lord Jesus. And Peter tells us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But let's be honest, at times we aren't all that interested in seeking Jesus and we aren't all that interested in growing our faith. In fact, sometimes the song sung in the deep recesses of our heart is, Jesus loves me, this I know, and this is all I want to know, because after all, it's, it's all I need to know, and, and that's just plenty. Far too often in our lives, the Christ child sits in the corner, unlooked for and underappreciated. My friends, when we're confronted with our sin and our guilt like this, we need to remember whom it was that those wise men were seeking. They were seeking a very special child, but more than that, they were seeking the Savior of all people, both Jews and Gentiles. Like the Magi, we are Gentiles. Their names were Middle Eastern. Most of our names are European. We live 2,000 years later, and yet we share something in common with them. We have the very same Savior. The little one that they worshiped is none other than God himself wrapped up in our human flesh, born to save, and save us, he did. He saved us from our apathy and our lack of devotion by living a totally devoted life, life totally devoted to God, a sinless life in our place, a life that now counts for us. He saved us from all our sins by shedding his priceless blood at the cross, the blood of God and man in one person, blood that pays for the sins of the whole world, including Ours. He saved us from the death that we deserve by rising again on the third day. He did this for you and he did this for me and he did this for all people. He did it for Jews. He did it for Gentiles. He did it for every man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. It's no wonder that these magi made such a careful search for him, traveled from such a long distance. And no wonder when they found him, they gave him their very best worship. Their worship is described like this. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The first thing we're told is that they worshipped the Savior with great joy. Can you imagine how their hearts must have swelled with joy and even relief after their very long and arduous journey, as they finally came over that last hill and saw the star pointing directly to the home in which the Lord Jesus lives. And imagine uh, the wonder that filled their eyes as they gazed on this little child, this very normal-looking little child with his mother, Mary. But of course, that normal little child is none other than Emmanuel, God himself with us. When they saw him, our text tells us that they bowed down and worshipped him. Literally, the word that's used means that they got down flat on their faces in humble awe and reverence before him. If you can imagine that scene, grown men, grown men bowing down on the ground with their faces in the dirt before a little child. 
But of course, those grown men recognized they didn't even deserve to be in the presence of this little child, much less to receive the awesome gifts of his grace. And then came the thank offering. Our text uses the word treasures. They presented him with very costly gifts, the very best that they had, gold that was fit for a king, and frankincense and myrrh, which to this day are still used to make very expensive perfumes. Notice, they didn't scramble for a few leftover coins in their pockets. Their gifts were well thought out, they were planned, they were generous, and they were cheerfully given. Again, we have to ask a somewhat uncomfortable question. How does our worship stack up against theirs, at least theirs, on that particular day? They were overjoyed to worship their Savior. And sometimes, let's be honest, we're overjoyed that the service is finally over. They fell before him in humble awe and reverence. Their total focus was on him. But oftentimes when we're in worship, our minds are wandering. We're not being very reverent. And in fact, we might even be looking around and thinking not-so-nice thoughts about some of our brothers and sisters in Christ sitting in the pews with us. They brought to the Lord Jesus their very, very best treasures. We've all at times been guilty of giving him our leftovers after the the bills are paid and our entertainment is financed. And by the way, I'm just talking about our our once-a-week worship here in God's house. The worship that we give our king in our everyday lives can be just as heartless and just as apathetic. So let me ask this question. Where do we find our joy? Where do we find our reverence? Where do we rediscover our generous response to our Savior's love? We find it in the same place that they did, the wise men. We find it in Jesus. We find it at the baptismal font where the Spirit himself worked in our hearts faith, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, placed us into the lap of our dear Heavenly Father as his dear children, and washed away all of our sins. We find it at the communion table where our Lord Jesus, our King himself, comes to us and in a miracle of miracles, he actually gives us his true body and blood, the same body and blood which he sacrificed to win our salvation. And along with those precious gifts, other precious gifts, pardon and peace in his name. We find our generosity, our reverence, and our joy in his book where he tells us the awesome story of his undeserved love for us sinners. In these which we call the means of grace, we find our Savior. And since we find our Savior, we find the forgiveness, life, and salvation that he won for us And we find our joy, our generosity, and our reverence as well. We find every reason we need to worship the Savior of the world. So why do we call them wise men? It's not because they were such great scholars. It's not because they were such good astronomers who followed that star. The Bible says this. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. These men feared the Lord. They trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They focused their hearts and their lives on Him. They sought Him diligently, and they worshiped Him joyfully. That's why we call them wise. And I have to say, the world could do with a lot more of that kind of wisdom. My friends, with the Spirit's help and power and guidance, let's imitate their wisdom. Let's join the wise men. God grant that to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen.